Welcome to PR Mageddon, the podcast about best public relation practices for a new world. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Murray. Today, our guest is Cheyenne Cameron Pruitt. I was especially excited to have Cheyenne on the podcast because she's a recent grad, but she's already done a lot of exciting PR work. She graduated from California State University, Chico, in 2016. Since then, she's been at the Sacramento branch of the international PR firm, Fleischmann Hillard. She started as an intern and is now an account executive. She's also part of AdColor's Futures 2020 class, which I'll ask her about. We'll go deep into influencer marketing, diversity and inclusion programs, both within the PR industry and for clients, and how she volunteers her expertise for causes she cares about. Cheyenne Cameron Pruitt, thank you for being on PR Mageddon. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful. So you are now at Fleischmann Hellard. What drew you to PR in the first place? Well, it's a kind of funny story. I think I kind of found PR by accident, really. Um, (laughs) I started um, my college career at Chico State um, as a pre-med major. And if you know me, that's hilarious because like most PR people, I'm horrible at math and I don't. And like, I was good at science, but once science started turning into math, just wasn't for me anymore. Um, (laughs) So I did not have a great first semester and I was like, I have to find something different to do. And I thought I wanted to do politics. So I actually switched my major to public affairs. It was also the time, like I'm very into like makeup and the world of beauty and YouTubers and all of that. And that was the time that I think that those like PR boxes and like PR trips really, really took off. And I was always like, who the heck is like behind planning that? Cause like, that's what I want to do like that stuff looks so fun like who gets to decide like what these boxes look like who gets them like all of that you know because I was like there's people who are not on this trip who should be and all that and um that kind of is what led me to PR because I did a little research like okay like what is this like what does this mean um and yeah then I was like okay I think I want to do that. And um, I switched from major again. So I switched from major like three times in freshman year of college and landed on PR. And I realized that this is probably for me when the homework didn't feel like homework. I just like enjoyed it. Um, So that's just how I happened upon PR by accident. But I'm so, so grateful that happened because I love what I do. I think that's so true of people in PR. It just it's a great field for people who love to communicate and connect and it shouldn't Mm -hmm. feel like work. It should feel fun. By the time you graduated, you had worked at the PR agency on campus. Yes. And you'd been a content creator for the online beauty company you mentioned. I was just wondering how those experiences helped you, how much they played into what you do now. A ton. Um, I think that that was really where I, um, like the, so I had a few social media internships, but again, like you said, you mentioned it was called My Color of Beauty. It was a um, kind of social content platform for women of color. And that kind of showed me that I really enjoyed social media like digital marketing and social media marketing and all of that kind of stuff. And I feel like it's one of those things, like, you know, you get that rush of endorphins when like something just like performs well. And I think after that, it's almost addictive. You just strive for that. And that kind of is what pushed me into, you know, honing in on social, um, which is a lot of what I do today. Um, And the same with Tehama Group, 
I was a digital media director and then the general manager, but, you know, even during, you know, my time in those positions, like social was a huge, huge focus for us. Um, and for me specifically for the agency, just, you know, cause there was a lot of things that were new and we were trying to figure out Instagram, um, and like how to use it in the way that made sense for TGC. And that has just kind of been, like what's driven me, um, even as in college, like I definitely think I'm an early adopter. So I'm always like looking to like the next new thing on social. So I've been talking about like TikTok forever, but now our clients are actually interested in it. So that's kind of what pushed me. So like I said, social is a lot of what I do now at FH, you know, but mostly focus on influencer, which again is what drew me to PR. It directed my career, um, which is, a cool thing. I'm so glad that I get to like actually do what I enjoy doing in college now for my job. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And for those listening, TCG is the agency that's student run on Chico State's campus. Yes. So it's an amazing place to practice and get those skills yes. under your belt. Yeah, it was, oh my gosh, it was, I was so lucky to be a part of TGC. You know, we had like real clients. It's so funny because I, a lot of people, like when you go into your first job, like you've never made a media list, you've never pitched media, but I actually had the opportunity to do that in TGC. So it was, yeah, great, great experience. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell my students, you need work, like you need samples, even if it's unpaid, right? Even if it's a volunteer position or something you're doing yourself, it's your own online company, you still need to be able to show, oh, I built this following, or I got this coverage, or whatever it is. So you graduated Chico State in 2016. I did. What was your transition like from being a student where you had these internships, and you were part of a community to, to becoming a professional on your own? I think I... I had a really easy transition. Um, I'll say, I think I was really lucky in that case. Um, This is just like, I always throw it out there. I graduated in December of 2016. And I think that I was really nervous about being a winter grad because I was like, I'm going to have such a hard time finding a job, but I'm actually so grateful that I did that because I found a job literally like the day I graduated, I applied at Fleischman Hillard and I was working there by January 10th. Um, wow. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really blessed that my job search was very easy. Um, <laughs> so anybody who's a December grad or a winter grad, like don't be scared. It actually puts you at an advantage because there's a lot less competition. But yeah, um, my transition was really easy. And I think that is, you know, due to Tehama Group in a lot of ways, just because I went from TGC, which was an agency and I had been in it a year um to going to Fleischman Hillard which you know I have to give Chico State and Janelle and Deb like super props because they really make TGC feel like an agency um so when I went to do like you know and I went into like now I'm in agency life it was like no transition like the things that I was doing every day on my when I was an intern at Fleischman Hillard was exactly what I was doing into Hama group, you know, maybe just like a little bit elevated, but it was not a hard transition. And I think I'm really lucky. So Fleischman Hillard is one of the oldest PR firms in yeah. the country. They were founded in the 1940s in Missouri, but now they're global. They're all over. Yes. What's it, offices. <laughs> what's it like to work for such a giant agency that has branches all over the world? You know, it's really cool. Um, I think so. I work in the Sacramento office. So what I love about 
Fleischman Hiller is we have an amazing network and like some of the like our the people in this you know agency are just like some of the smartest people you'll ever meet when it comes to PR and just like in general they're so smart and just intelligent and thoughtful and you know just so good um but what I really love about my experience at Fleischman Hiller is so I work out of the Sacramento office and we're a really small office um I think we're like 20 folks, which is pretty, you know, small compared to, you know, like New York or St. Louis where there's huge numbers of folks. So we kind of have that boutique, like boutique agency feel with a huge global network. You know, we still work on huge clients and a lot of, you know, really like well-known clients and fun clients and all of that. But it, the vibe of the office is like a small agency, but we have that like huge reach. And we have, you know, like I said, the smartest people ever in PR who we're able to access when we need it for our clients. So it's been a cool experience. And then also just, um, I do a lot of work kind of outside of our office, um, with like diversity and inclusion and like other, you know, clients focus on that. And so it's really cool to get to work with people just like all around the world. Like I've, you know, in this past year, I've worked with some folks in the Brussels office and I've worked with people, um, you know, just all around. And it's, it's a really cool, cool experience. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I saw that you have worked for a lot of different food brands and industry groups. Yeah. Wonderful pistachios, Albertsons, California Olive Committee. It seems like social media would be the main focus of anything related to food. Mm-hmm. Is that how you approached it? Yeah. Yeah. For, for me. And just like I said, I really honed in on what exactly I want to do in that social. So most of the stuff I do is um, social related, but we do a lot more traditional PR as well. So, you know, media pitching, all of that. So like I we're in, I'm in Sacramento. So Sacramento is known as the farm to fork capital of the world. You know, we have all the fresh stuff and farmland and all of that. So it really makes sense for us to be focused on food and beverage and agribusiness. Doing food PR is interesting because you have to stay up on the trends and, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it can be a challenge just, you know, to be noteworthy and newsworthy, but I think it's, it's really fun, especially if you're like into the be getting the opportunity to be more creative and kind of step outside the traditional, like here's a ton of media lists and pitching and all of that. Like we do a lot of different things for our food clients that you might not do for like a consumer or a tech client or something like that. Well, I almost feel like there'd be a lot of pressure because with social, there can be food trends. So I could, I could see a client (laughs) saying, we want to be the new kale, you know, we want to be everywhere all of a sudden. How do you, How do you think about that with influencers and with the fact that every food is different, yeah. but yet you're trying to get the same result, which is people excited about this food and eating the yes. food and taking pictures of the food. And so what you just said, exactly is it's influencers. Um, and that is like, that's, this is my personal opinion is that influencers, especially now with COVID implications and all of that are really going to be, they're already a huge thing in PR, but they're going to be like the huge thing in PR. And that is really my opinion, just because influencers have been able to just create this like amazing network of trust within, you know, with their audience. So their audience, like, and like, we know, like, I know I have influencers if they say, you know, oh, I love this thing. I'm going to go buy it because I trust them because they've never steered me wrong. And that is, I think we're, you know, capitalizing on that, but 
in the same way, like we're capitalizing on it, but not exploiting the trust. A lot of, you know, what we focus on is like, how do we, you know, work with an influencer that makes sense for our brand that has, you know, an affinity for, you know, the brand or the product that we're trying to, you know, get folks excited about it's re- that's realistic and like still meeting our goals and still all of that audiences, consumer audiences are very intuitive and like, they're very vocal about things as well. <laughs> so if it's not authentic, like they will call you out on it. And influencers are so tuned in to their audiences, which I think is really cool because a lot of the time you can go to an influencer and be like, Hey, we have this idea. Um, what do you think? And they'll be like, okay, well, I like that, but jumping off, like, I know this is what my audience is going to want to see. And I know that this, this works for me. This has worked for me in the past. Da, 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 da. And, you know, then the part, it's a partnership and it's a, you know, mutually beneficial partnership, which is what we always look for because then, you know, the influencers are going to want to come back and work with us, but now their audience is excited and their audience is going to get, you know, tell other people and it just kind of works the way we want it to. But I think that a lot of stuff, especially now, like I said, is, is going to move toward influencers, like things you wouldn't expect to be, you know, influencer relations worthy. Um, yeah, <laughs> hopefully that, that answers your question. It does. And it's such a good point about COVID accelerating the importance of influencers yeah. because we're all inherently social. We want yes. to have a communal experience and we're stuck at home. Yeah. But if, if I'm buying the same thing that everyone else on my timeline is buying, or if I'm cooking the same food that everyone else is cooking, it's like when everyone was making sourdough, you felt like you're a part of something, even though you're at home by yourself. Yes, exactly. And I think influencers, like you said, that like community, they're so good at creating it. And like, I really think that's such a special skill because not everybody can do that, but they are so, so good at creating a community. And you mentioned, you think that things that seem weird to us now will maybe become part of the influencer universe soon. Did you have something in mind when you said that? Not necessarily. A lot of influencers are, you know, I think we've seen where they have a niche. So like there's like a food influencer, food and recipe development. That's all they do. Um, But now I think that we're seeing a lot of influencers kind of shift. They're, you know, kind of breaking into other, you know, they're thinking about diversity, but not only diversity in the content they create, you know, in the, you know, content when I'm talking about like ethnicity, all of that kind of stuff, but also in the type of content that they create, which I love to see. So I know like I follow a ton of, you know, fashion makeup influencers, but now they're getting into sharing their recipes or they're getting into sharing like, you know, home decor and, um, you know, just breaking out. And I think that's really what I mean is that the world of influence relations is shifting because it's not going to just be like, okay, like I have a food product, so I'm only going to, you know, work with a food influencer when maybe it makes sense to work with somebody who's known for doing fashion. And it just like kind of fits. Like I think of one specific is um, an influencer that I work not work with excuse me that I follow her name is Kelly Augustine she's a fashion influencer but recently she did a partnership with a brand that like helps you if you don't have health insurance like find access to like doctors who you don't have to like pay a ton you pay like similar to a copay but I thought it was such a cool and smart partnership because it just made sense um and I think that's kind of a lot more of what we're going to see like even though that it's not fashion like she made it her own and it's it made sense and it made sense for her audience and for her and I think that is really what we're going to see more of I think you're completely right have have you heard of Brooklyn and Bailey 
I have twins. They're fascinating to me because they're actually second generation influencers. Oh my gosh. How cool. Their mom used to do YouTube videos braiding their hair. They're twins. Okay. So all growing up, she would show, here's how I braid my girl's hair. or I do these cool hairstyles. They are now in college. They took over, they created their own Brooklyn and Bailey accounts and they partnered with, I think it's Baylor university. And so they are now doing influencer relations for the university. Oh my gosh. And I followed them. I remember finding out about them at the beginning of the pandemic. They actually got COVID-19 and they like shared their whole journey with COVID-19 at Baylor, like at the university. It was just fascinating to me because they sort of kind of had it handed to them from their mom. They kind of took the baton and now their whole life, like you're saying, it's not just like their mom's influence was like, if you're interested in braiding hair, I'll show you how to do that. But for them, it's a whole lifestyle, right? They sell clothes, they sell hair accessories. They got free tuition at Baylor because they're representing the (laughs) university. You know, they do dating shows. It's it's more like a traditional celebrity than a how-to guide. Yes. And uh, I love what you said because I totally agree. Like influencers, and I've had this conversation, influencers really are like the new celebrity. And I know that, you know, they may not be like the A-list celebrity, but what's funny is they have the celebrity pull, but they also still have the trust that a lot of celebrities don't have. Like if we think of the Kardashians, yes, they're influencers, but nobody trusts them because they're just like, you're just like trying to make money off of me. But influencers can literally do the exact same thing as like what the Kardashians do all the time and they don't lose trust. So that's so interesting. Also, I need to go follow Brooklyn and Bailey. That's, I love that we're to the point where there's second generation influencers. That feels kind of weird, but it's yeah, cool. That blew my mind. That's <laughs> yeah. That's why that's I started wild. reading about them. Like you, what second, how has it been happening this long? Right. Oh my gosh. I didn't, it doesn't even feel like YouTube has been around for that long, but I guess it has. Well, I wanted to shift gears and talk with you about diversity and inclusion. Cause I know that's a yeah. real passion of yours. It is. And you started an office diversity and inclusion at your branch that got picked up globally. Can you talk about how that came about? Sure, sure. So um, Fleischman Hillard, and I just have to say, it's so awesome to be a part of an agency that really values diversity and inclusion and not just like says that they value it, they take action. Um, And, you know, we do a lot in all of our different offices to really embrace it and promote, you know, diversity and inclusion and and equity as well in all of our offices and, you know, with, with our clients. And I'm grateful to be a part of a, an agency that really does that and puts it at the forefront, even, you know, not when it's like the trend to do it. Cause I think right now, you know, hate to say it, but it's a little bit of a trend. We know that. I am a diversity champion in our Sacramento office. This program was actually born out of a conversation about Netflix. <laughs> I we were I was sitting with a colleague of mine, and we were chatting. We're like, okay, what are we going to do for? Um, you know, we had to kick it off. It was it was Black History Month, and we we're like, what are we going to do? Like, we need to find something good and like cool to do. And we were browsing Netflix to see if we could find like a documentary or something where I'm huge on the explain series. Um, and we watch it a lot in our, 
we'd had watched it a lot in the previous year and we were just kind of scrolling and I noticed that her cue just looks so much different than mine. And we, then we started comparing and we were like, this is so weird because, you know, I, I'm a woman of color, I'm a black woman. And it was very interesting to see how, even if the, you know, show had like one black character and they were a side character like I think of I think it's dynasty like the newer dynasty where there's like some black people but they're not like main characters but that was who was showing up on my feed the, and the one that got us was like the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt she had the main character Kimmy Schmidt I don't know her name um but that was who was like on the cover of hers and then I had the black character Titus um and we noticed we're like this is so weird and then we kind of like started looking into it and you know Netflix does that Netflix knows you they learn you through the algorithm they feed you what they think you want to see and you I know just have to stop you there because I think that's so interesting that you're yes. getting recommended the same show but the photo representing the show is different for it's each different of you. it's very weird um and it's kind of there's a there actually is like an explained video about it um I'll, I can send you the link but it's, it's very interesting yeah. um and yeah so we were like okay that's so weird so that's where we we watched that video and we're like it's interesting how they like shift this algorithm and like then we started like, well, what, what are we not seeing? Like what else? Like, you know, there's so much content on Netflix. Like we're clearly not seeing all of it. So like, what are we missing? And then we started, you know, just kind of talking more and more about, okay, well, we know our Netflix algorithm is like running what we watch. So what else, like what other algorithms are basically, you know, controlling our worldview? We, we're like, okay, like that's our program. That's what we're going to do. We're going to work to shift people's worldview by remixing their algorithm, which is what the program is called. And it kind of just, it worked so well in our office that it just kind of got picked up because we shared it. And yeah, like you said, now it's global, but it's really cool. So basically like the original premise is that we provided folks um, in our office, like we made basically a monthly newsletter. We had a monthly theme and we provided people opportunities to remix their algorithm and what they, we had six categories, what they read, watch follow shop and listen to and like the their professional development so we would do research and provide you know just like links it wasn't like you know you had to do every single thing but basically our goal was by the end of the year we had something different each month so you know we had our cultural focus where you know like black history month or asian pacific american heritage month we also had like self-care um and like what else did we have? So many different things. By the end of the year, everybody's feed was different. And we had, you know, we shifted our worldview to be more open because, you know, we added some diversity or added whatever into our Instagram feed or into like the podcast we listened to. And it was really, it was just really cool. It is neat. And it's like, you took your interest in social and brought it to this thing you feel passionately about. And exactly. Combine them. And we just love, like, you know, I love that it's about the algorithm because I think, you know, as PR folks, we're always worried about the algorithm. Like we're always worried about Instagram and, you know, Facebook and all of that. And I think it's cool, but I also think like it doesn't have to specifically just be for PR folks. Like, you know, cause now you, a lot of people just don't, didn't understand the algorithm. So now they're like learning how like, okay, this is crazy that there's this like little, like equation that controls my worldview um and I want to shift it so yeah it's it's been a really cool like experiment I think it's nice too that it's it's diversity 
almost internally, right? Yes. It's not about what is the race of everyone in this room. Yes. It's about what are you consuming? What are you yeah. thinking and reading and really getting deeper beyond the surface? Right, right. Because what we kind of figured is that we can talk your ear off about like, this is how you are an ally and this is how you do this. But it's not, you know, it, it's not going to really mean anything until you shift what you're doing for yourself. People were just in general, more knowledgeable about the world around them, which I, yeah, it's, it's, it's really awesome. Well, it's literally seeing what someone else is seeing. Yes. Like seeing the world through their eyes. Yeah. As, as we're now viewing the world through an algorithm. Yeah. Again, exactly. more because of COVID-19, which is weird. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw you also assisted, assisted in the creation of General Motors internal diversity and inclusion roadmap. That jumped out at me right away because I'm in Michigan, right? Okay. Headquarters of GM. We're all very interested in the auto industry here. Was there anything unique about doing a diversity initiative for the auto industry? I will say I wasn't super as heavy, heavy in that project, but it was interesting to just see a very well-known company embrace, um, you know, the need for diversity because sometimes it feels like companies are not doing that. It's just one of those things where it's like, well, I don't really see you doing anything, but half the time they have a, a plan. You're just not in tune with it. Um, and you don't know where to look. So it was cool to kind of see like diversity and inclusion from a different industry that I've never worked in before. That's great. Yeah. There's a lot of things I wanted to ask you about, especially ad color, because I yes. had never heard of them. Oh my and gosh. They're in New York. They look amazing. Um, so how did you find out about them? How did you first get involved with them? Yeah, oh, man, ad color. That is probably like the best part of 2020 for me. One of the best parts. So ad color is an organization that was created by Tiffany Warren, who just recently moved to Sony, but she was at Omnicom for a long time. And Omnicom is, you know, they own, you know, their Fleshman Hiller is a part of Omnicom. So many ad companies and PR companies are. Um, and it was started to just kind of create a space for diverse folks in the industry because the industry is not very diverse. Like there are, there's diverse people, but like, you're not going to see a ton of, you know, BIPOC people in the C-suite um, often, which I think is shifting now, which is really cool. Also, it's just, it can be really hard. Like I was just reading, oh my gosh, who is this article about? I can't remember who it was, but it's, it was talking about a black woman who's a CMO and she had to jump a lot of, you know, people of color have to jump and shift um, jobs to move up because even if, you know, equity seems like it's there, it's not necessarily there when it comes to compensation and, you know, getting evaluated and promoted. So ad color is kind of for that, but also providing, you know, like trainings and um, opportunities to network and all of that. So um, I kind of, I found out about ad color a few years ago, um, kind of just working with the diversity champions team at FH and they have this program called the futures program. So it's for people who are within their first three years um, of working in the industry. So that's ad PR, 
communications, an in-house agency, whatever, but you know, they're newer to the industry and um, basically you apply. It's very, very, very competitive. If you get in, you get access to an incredible network, like incredible network and you get the opportunity to learn from people and um, interact with folks and all of that. So that's kind of in a nutshell what ad color is if you like I would definitely recommend like going to dive deeper their whole thing is um especially for the futures is reaching um rising up and reaching back so that is um really a huge thing and I think that you know especially being um a you know a black woman in this industry that is kind of one of my goals anyways it's like when I came into the working world there's not a lot of folks who look like me especially and there's not a lot of women specifically black women specifically who look like me in positions of leadership so there's not as many opportunities for mentorship with somebody who understands exactly what it is that I'm experiencing um you know as a black woman in an industry that is necessarily I always say it's not necessarily made for us but I you know I make it work for me but it's not it was not not an industry made for me um, so ad color is all about rising up. So <laughs> breaking like the glass ceiling or, you know, doing whatever, um, going above and beyond and then reaching back because once you're in that position, you have to like, you make a way for other people. And that is something that has been, that I've worked towards my entire career is I always say like, I want to be that person one day when an intern comes in, a young black woman comes in and they see me in, you know, the C-suite or wherever. They're like, okay, well she did it. So I can too. And I know that if I go to her, she is going to be someone who can help me. It's great that it's a national organization because- like you alluded to, PR is about 88% white. Yep. So if you're looking for someone, you know, who has 10 years of experience and can tell you what's coming down the road or, you know, a mentor that's in your exact specialty, mm-hmm. they might not be in your local agency. Right. Or, you know, and you, or maybe you just don't get along with them and you want someone different. And there's just, right. it's nice that they have such a deep bench of talent that's all over the country. We also had the hackathon, which was so cool. And that was, it was hard, but it was one of my favorite experiences. Were you part of the hackathon because you were in the futures program? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so, so were yeah, you put the, in a team, like yeah, they, big, they put you in a team. Okay. Exactly. They were, they put us in a team. So yeah, that's a part. So the futures, you have the training, um, but then the hackathon is like kind of the, the end all be all of like what it is to be a future. Um, so we kind of, we got our teams early on, we got, and we got thrown into industries that none of us were familiar with. So I was thrown into the video gaming industry, which was hard because I don't know a lot about video games at all, um, except for like playing Animal Crossing and that's it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but it was, so it was interesting and like we didn't know any of our teams so not only did we do we not know the industry and we but then we also had to like with COVID implications get to know our teams virtually um and I just have to say I had the most amazing team my team was we worked so well together like I have never been in a better team like throughout college whatever at any group project like we this team was just it was you were all so over amazing. the country, right? It, we were all over the country. So there was a few of us on the West Coast. There was one in Chicago. And then basically we were given a brief. Um, and the brief was hacking racial injustice in the video gaming industry, which was, it's a big ask. It was a really big ask. But we pulled together a really fun program. Like I'm still so proud of that program. 
and we actually won the hackathon, which is exciting. Yeah, it was just so cool to be able to like come out of your comfort zone. And also I think it was an opportunity to just be like, okay, like I'm doing this whole thing that I do for work all the time, but there's no like grownups in the room. Like I like to say, you know, like we are like, we're in charge and we get to do this. And it was really cool to be able to just like, think of like, what would I want? Like my, you know, like we called it like our, you know, shooting for the star strategy. Like what would I want it to be? And we got to create that and it was just, yeah, such a great experience. So, well, you have to tell us like, what, what did you come up with? So yeah, our, (laughs) our, um, brief was basically we had, and this is all fictional. We had a video game company that was catching a lot of flack because they have a huge problem of, you know, racism in, um, you know, the, gaming community which is a very real thing but not only that was there a lack of there's a lack of representation within the games um which is again very real thing so this company tried to address it to be like oh, okay well we're going to throw millions of dollars at the NAACP so their black employee resource group was like no this is not going to work because you know this is the ongoing problem so the way we address it was in a few different ways we recommended number one that you don't just throw money at the problem which I think is what we saw a lot of companies do this year and I rightfully so they were held accountable and caught a lot of flack for it because you know you can't just throw money at something and call yourself like doing the work we basically created this like program to where all of the you know you basically had like a a reviewer but they were reviewing for representation, for negative stereotypes, for all of that different kind of stuff. So they would go throughout game development because what we found out was, which I think is crazy still, is that the majority of like black teenagers who play video games far outnumbers like white teenagers or any other race. But when you think about the amount, the number of like game developers, there's only 2% game de- black game developers worldwide. So like that, it's crazy because there's such like, you know, this like disparity, but it's because, you know, we found out it's because a lot of, you know, people don't know that that can be a career or they're, you know, they're not told like, here's what you have to do. Like, you know, because it's kind of a hard thing to break into, but there's no like programs for them to like learn about it. That was something we wanted to address. So we, you know, work, had our program to like, where there was someone who would work with the developers to go through the the entire game development process, which can take like 10 years. It's a long, it's a long process to be like, to basically do like accountability checks at certain things. So that was one part. Then we had, you know, to address like racist trolling that happens in the video gaming industry. We had kind of like a safety feature where there was trigger words. And as soon as the system picked up on a trigger word, it would start recording it would start recording for like just for 30 seconds. And then um, if there was a report filed, there was already a recording at that time. So then, you know, it would be addressed with real consequences because there, it, there actually is features like that, but there's no consequences. So we propose that they would get kicked off the gaming server or they'd be able, they'd be kicked off the gaming server without being able to like chat. So they could still play. They just would lose the functionality of chatting or, you know, voice chat or any like that and then to kind of address the the PR part of it because that's you know fixing kind of the systemic part of it so then the PR part of it we um 
proposed this campaign, which was called, I think it was Blackout Week, but we this was in partnership with the Ad Council and they have this campaign called Fight for Freedom and Love Has No Label. So in the, the main game that was getting the heat for lack of representation, we did a Blackout Week, which was kind of multi-tiered where we added new and like permanent, not NPCs, non-player characters. So, you know, there was more diversity there. We then also um, added more diverse like things for people to create their characters. So like hairstyle, skin type, body type, ability type even. We also partnered with, you know, black owned brands and love has no labels within the game, you know, for people to purchase. So we thought about like Fenty and like Teflar and all those kind of like different brands too, that when people purchase it, it would then give back <laughs> to the community. It was a really, really fun, fun um, experience. Well, yeah. I mean, it sounds really holistic. You, yeah, it sounds in depth <laughs> and I love it because so, so often when I first graduated, I didn't know what to do with networking. Like, you know, ad color gives you this amazing network, but you're all spread apart. And how do you get beyond small talk? How do you actually make deep, real connections at a distance? And so hackathon is a great way where you worked on something together and you collaborated and you, you now know each other. You want to build those relationships when you don't need anything and just practice right. and get used to it because it's hard. Networking is hard. It really is. It's it's tough, especially if you're kind of shy or what. It can be tough. And then even now, like COVID, that just makes it even harder because now you have to network virtually, which is not as easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I saw you're on the board of a nonprofit called Black yeah. Women United. Yeah. So I wanted to ask how that came about. And also, how do you have time to do all these things? This is getting a little ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yes, I, yeah, my schedule is a little wild. <laughs> I will always right. say that. Um, but yeah, Black Women United, oh my gosh, I it's actually very cool how we found them. So when we first started our diversity and inclusion programming in the Sacramento office, we did, we did a survey and we were like, what do people want to learn about most? And colorism, be- was like at the top of the list we were like like you know like I could talk about it but also it doesn't sound great coming from somebody who benefits from colorism to be telling you about you know colorism so we're like we need to find someone who could be like an expert so I did some research and I found Black Women United and they are I guess I should say we are um, an organization it was born out of lack of representation so in was it 2016 when all of the like women's marches were happening you know after the election and all that and it was just a very tumultuous time um we had of course the women's march here in sacramento but the thing is is like there's there seemed to be no space for black women in the feminism movement in Sacramento. So there was a significant lack of representation. Um, Our founders were like, okay, well, we have to change that. So they created the Black Women's March um, in 2017. So we're going on year five, which is really exciting. Um, But that is kind of like, so that's, I found Black Women United and I was like, okay. So they came and they talked about colorism and I just stayed connected. And I eventually just volunteered to help put, you know, however I could with the Black Women's March. And it kind of, I kind of just stuck and I am now super involved. So I'm the PR and marketing director. We're really doing like the work that needs to be done. We're addressing, you know, the need for intersectionality, not only in 
you know, the feminism movement, but even within the movements that are happening in our community, because we're seeing that there's a lot of like trans people erasure. Like we're not talking, like when we're saying Black Lives Matter, they sometimes, you know, not for us, but sometimes people don't mean trans Black lives as well. So that's something that we're really working towards. We're working towards acceptance of, you know, the LGBTQ plus community and making sure that those voices are represented and heard. And, but specifically like our heart is for black women our mission is to uplift educate and empower black women and with COVID it's been a little bit harder just because it's harder to put on programs but we still do um we had at the beginning of COVID we had these really cool programs called our virtual support groups where we just like held literally every single day like seven days a week there was somebody hosting something that you could just tune into if you needed just a little bit of community um and a a safe space with some with black women like we had meditation we had um therapists we had you know people if they needed you know they wanted to talk to like a pastor or something like that we had access to that and it was just so cool that we created this like little online community and then we hosted our march virtually this year as well which was it was intense to plan but it was it was really successful and really excited but yeah black women united is just fantastic grassroots organization and i'm so happy to be a part of it it's cool did you mention that they were looking for interns right yes now? yes so right now we're actually looking for a social media and pr intern so you get to work with me <laughs> um so yeah we're looking for that and it is paid just if you have like social media experience or if you want to learn because that's the thing it's like this kind of goes back to what i was talking about with ad color the rise up but reach back like this is one of our opportunities to reach back because we would really want to make sure that we're giving you know whoever the opportunity to kind of like learn this but from somebody who may look like them so it's the internship is open to everybody so apply (laughs) but yeah yeah, it's just this is just our opportunity to kind of reach back and kind of start guiding like that next generation of folks especially in the you know nonprofit and social justice you know world of things that's wonderful I'll definitely get some information from you to share with our students um and you also recently launched your own podcast. Is that I right? <laughs> yeah, What's I, that did, called? I did. Um, it's called Now That You're Here. It's just that is like nothing to do with work or anything like that. It's just my best friend and I chit chatting about whatever it is we want to chit chat about. Um, a lot of real housewives. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so in all your spare like, time. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, that's a huge focus. Real housewives, just whatever though. But yeah, um, it's it's been really fun. It's been a cool experience. We're it's very new, but it's been fun. That's great. Well, if people want to hear more from you, they can listen to your podcast. Yeah, please. Yeah. If you want to laugh, (laughs) it's definitely like, don't take us seriously. We say that at the beginning of every episode. (laughs) Love that. Well, I just wanted to end with any advice you have for our seniors who are graduating, looking for PR jobs in this very weird time. Yes. Um, Let's see my advice. (laughs) I think that when you're, you know, in your senior year, like I forgot to enjoy my senior year because I was like working so hard and preparing myself to, um, you know, go into my career field, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but enjoy your time because I miss college still. And like, I would love to go back, but like, I don't want to go back to the school part. Like, I just want to enjoy that time of my life. So enjoy that. Don't rush through it. Um, and then just when you 
you know, get into that job, look for people who, you know, I, what I do is I look for people who I aspire to be like and talk to them because I think what I found out is like, it seems really scary sometimes to be like, oh, I want to literally talk to like the chief, whoever. Um, but most of the time they're not scary. Like they're, they may be busy. So you may not be able to talk with them right away, but they want to help you and they want to, you know, give you advice and they want to hear what you're going through in your career. And, you know, just look for those people because people in this industry are generally pretty open about sharing. Like, I'm just going to say like most people, our people I know like to talk about themselves <laughs> and I'm right, one of those right. people so Me like too. ask them about themselves so yeah they'll enjoy it I promise <laughs> right absolutely well Cheyenne thank you so much for taking yeah, the time you. to talk with us this has been great I'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> Cheyenne thank you for being willing to take some student questions Absolutely. Thanks for having me again. Of course. First up, we have Sierra. I would like to know what a day in the life of an account executive would look like. I just was curious to know if she has like a set schedule for every day or if every day looks different. Good question. What is your day-to-day like? Super great question. Um, yeah, and you know, I think I think for everybody it's different. For me, one of my favorite things of PR is that every day is different. Um, I don't really have a set schedule. I might have some kind of parameters that guide my day, but really my day depends on the emails that I get, um, which there's a lot of them. So usually kick off my morning by checking my emails, prepping for any meetings that I have coming up, which there's a lot because we're (laughs) virtual as everybody knows. So the meetings kind of increase because we can't just walk down the hall and be like, Hey, can we talk about this certain thing. Sorry, my dog is (laughs) right here being really loud. I always set about 30 minutes aside each morning to just be really intentional about planning my day because I get stressed out if I forget something or, you know, if you forget a deadline or whatever. So that is something I think is really important to do. I know some people like in college, like I was one of those people who I didn't really need to write stuff down as much because I remembered things, but here now it's different. Maybe as I've gotten older, it's changed or I don't really know, but sorry. That's okay. We're Uh, all at home. (laughs) Right. I know. She's so funny. She just got a new toy that has treats in it and she is too much. So like I use my email inbox and I know a lot of people do this, um, kind of as my to-do list. So every day at the end of my day, I zero out my email inbox. So like if there's something, there's emails that I've already addressed. Um, I, I filed them away in folders. I have a lot of folders that I like do organize by client, by focus, by, program, whatever. Um, the next day when I'm planning, I, um, I use that to set my calendar and to set my to-do list and all of that. The rest of the day is just meetings, you know, touching base with clients, um, working on deliverables. And that can look like anything from doing influencer research, which means like spending a few hours on TikTok (laughs) or, you know, like writing a press release or, um, you know, working on some um, diversity, equity, inclusion work. It really looks different every day, but I think that's really why I love PR because it's not monotonous and I get bored really easily. So even, you know, if I have multiple deliverables and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of bored of this, I can jump to the next one and be like, I'm going to come back to it when I'm feeling more energized and engaged in that. That makes sense. Would you 
say on an average day, I know there's not an average day, but what's your breakdown of I'm creating a deliverable versus I'm answering emails. I'm having meetings. It's more of the communication relationship management side. Yeah. You know, it used to be a lot more of deliverable focus. Um, I think now just because we are virtual, it's a lot more meetings. Um, so there's certain days where I just know, like, if I have a deliverable that day, I just have to plan like better because I'm not going to be able to, um, spend a lot of time because I'm in meetings for like four hours that day, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, average, I would say the breakdown can be like sometimes 80% deliverables, 20% meetings, or sometimes it's vice versa. Um, so yeah, it's, it really changes day to day, sometimes even week to week, just depending on what's going on. So like, for example, if I'm planning a virtual event, my meetings are going to increase drastically, um, just because events just require more touching base time. <laughs> mm-hmm. That makes sense. All right. Next question is from Adam. Hey, Cheyenne, Adam Rank here. My question for you is, as someone who specializes in social media, with today's evolution of smartphones and other ways to share, what are your biggest challenges or struggles um, when you go to post something? Do you you feel like you're stepping on eggshells in some situations, or uh, do you find it pretty easy overall? That is a very good question. Um, <laughs> and honestly, yes, it, it, I think it's evolved because I also don't do as much posting for clients um, anymore. But when I did, it was it could be really stressful because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm literally like logged in to my client's Instagram account, which is normal um, from my phone or from whatever. If we're, you know, trying to create content on the fly, um, it could it could be really scary. So what I used to do is just completely log out of like any of my own channels just in case, and then do the same when I'm done posting for my client, log completely out of theirs, just in case. What I think is really cool now is there's so many, um, because there's so many new platforms that make social media management and posting way easier. Now, like that's kind of like where we go towards is using those apps, specifically Facebook Creator Studio, like that it's, you know, it could be kind of clunky, but I think it's the safest way because you know, that it's definitely going to the channel that you want it to go to. And you're not going to have to worry about um, quality because, you know, sometimes we used to have like download videos um, and then upload the videos from our phone. And of course, sometimes you just lose quality when that happens. Definitely been an, an interesting experience. But like I said, I think now it's a lot easier than when I first started. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that now it's gotten easier from the management side, the social media management. Absolutely. But do you ever feel like, okay, we're going to post something and people are going to come back and like criticize us a ton because maybe the product's not made in America or, you know, social media, it just, it does seem a little bit more stressful lately. And that's kind of what I heard in Adam's question. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, and I think that's just something that you have, you think about just always, mm-hmm. um, you know, always kind of you know thinking okay like well what is the audience reaction going to be and you know for me like just to be quite honest with you most of the stuff I post it's not really something that is like I would deem like controversial and it you know it's it's just you know you're always prepared for it but you know I work in a, a lot more food or like consumer stuff and never really dealt with anything that's controversial. I'm sure people who do post that stuff, they have um, a lot more stress when it comes to social media stuff. But also I think 
what is really great is usually when you're posting to social media, you're prepared. And like, when I say prepared, you're like over-prepared, like you're prepared for like any single thing that you could even possibly think that somebody might like think to ask. Sometimes you don't know if it's trolling because trolling is, it's the internet. That's, you know, trolling rules the internet. So sometimes it's like, don't engage. Other times it's like, okay, like let's engage, but let's engage, um, you know, in this like key message that we've already created. And any client that you work with either has those or you'll work with them to create them. That makes a lot of sense. All right, next question is from Danielle. As a Black woman and as an advocate for Black women within the workplace, Tell me a story where uh, you had to overcome resistance to diversity program implementation. Thanks, Danielle. That is a fantastic question. And I am just going to have to say, I wish I could give you a better answer. And like, I promise you, this is not just me being giving a fluffy answer at all, because I would tell you, but I've never experienced resistance to this, um, to our real huge focus on diversity, equity, inclusion at all, because I think that we're just really lucky. Um, I'll say I'm lucky in my experience at FH. um, Everybody is ready for it. We're ready to be inclusive. We're ready to make sure that our our focus is on diversity and equity, um, not only for, you know, our internal needs, but also for our clients, because I think that people know that to be the best PR counselors that we can be and to be the best colleagues and employees that we can be like, it's necessary for us to really push and dive in and make sure that we are addressing these issues that have always been there, but now there is a a larger focus on it. And um, so I'll say I'm really blessed to not have experienced people being like, well, this is too much. I'm sure it happens. Um, I just have never experienced it and I've never heard it um, in any of the diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff that I do, because I think that people just know that we have to be prepared. We have to counsel our clients and I'm really, really happy to say that I've never experienced that. And I'm proud of FH for that, just because, you know, I think we're doing some really cool things with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And our clients are trusting us to do some cool things and counsel them and um, diversity, equity, inclusion. And yeah, it's great. (laughs) I really, I promise it's not a fluffy answer. It really sounds like one. That is really great. Yeah. Well, our last question is from Cameron. Hello, Mrs. Pruitt. My name is Cameron Bruce. First, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to give us some information about you and your career. My question to you is, after looking at your extensive background and your history as an organizer, what would you say is your best piece of advice to become an organizer as someone who is very politically active and wants to help communities be diverse and be and be welcoming to everybody what would you say is the best way to get your foot in the door in the organizing field thank you Cameron's got one semester left so okay yeah that's awesome well good luck um well that is also just a great question and I think um, I'm just going to speak from my personal experience is especially with Black Women United the way that I encountered Black Women United was actually because I was looking for a guest speaker 
to do some stuff um, to come and speak to us to my office for our DEI program. And I just was like, wow, this organization is great. I, as a Black woman, have a heart for the issues that Black women face because a lot of them, you know, they're just not really seen at the forefront. Um, you know, when it comes to like Black women's healthcare, when it comes to like Black women's like maternal and, you know, maternal and infant death rates are just crazy. And I'm not going to get on a tangent, but, you know, those are just things that are I'm passionate about. If you want to get into organizing and community organization and all of that, find something that you're passionate about. Like find those issues that you're like, okay, like, cause I know I can't change the entire world, but if I can make a dent in something, um, you know, that I'm really passionate about, what organization can help me to do that? Um, so I think once I realized that Black Women United was that organization, I'm like, okay, but what can I bring to the table? And I think that on it, on, it started out as, because we have the Black Women's March, I just said, hey, I'm a, pu a public relations professional. I know how to event plan. I know how to do media relations. I know how to do whatever, whatever else. How can I help? And that was it because I really focused, like, I'm not going to come and say, I want to fundraise because I don't know how to fundraise. Like, I mean, I could probably, but that's not my expertise. I think the best way to get into organizations and feel like you're making a difference in the communities that you want to make a difference in or in the organizations that you want to make a difference in is rely on your expertise. I love that attitude. And it, it makes sense how you can do so many different things because you're not reinventing the wheel with every organization. Exactly. You're using your expertise at FH and at Black Women United and and like, I will say now that I'm do stuff for Black Women United, I have definitely jumped into things that were things I like to do, but not necessarily my expertise. So now like I'm pretty good when it comes to certain things at like graphic design, because I had to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to edit videos. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking with our class and taking their questions. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. This is so great. <laughs> This podcast was made possible by the Hub for Teaching and Learning at the University of Michigan-Dearborn. It was produced by Muhammad Jafar. Hear future episodes by subscribing on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Breaker, or Pocket Casts.